Enjoy them while you can. We're in a series called Forgotten Virtues. We're going to be looking at honor, purity, integrity, loyalty, and gratitude. Last week we looked at the forgotten virtue of honor. This week we're going to look at the forgotten virtue of purity. And there's a reason why these virtues are forgotten virtues. Uh, They are forgotten virtues because we don't like to do them. Uh, They do not come easily. They do not come naturally to us. These virtues go against the grain of our culture, and they actually go against the grain of our self. Left to ourselves, we would not pursue honor, purity, integrity, loyalty, and gratitude. Because these are not self-serving virtues. They are other-focused virtues. In fact, they are God-focused virtues. Even purity itself doesn't come naturally to ourself, to our flesh. I mean, you would think that it would be natural for us to want to keep ourselves clean, that we would value personal purity, modesty, chastity. But in our flesh, we head the other direction. The Bible considers purity to be a very significant virtue. Over and over again, God says that purity, pureness, being pure is a goal worthy of our pursuit. In Philippians 4.8, the Apostle Paul instructs us, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Purity rates right up there with truth, honesty, justice, loveliness, goodness as a virtue to be praised, to be pursued, to to be thought about, contemplated seriously. Uh, James says this about purity in relation to wisdom. Uh, In James chapter 3, he contrasts worldly wisdom with heavenly wisdom. And he says, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, Considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. James says that the first sign of wisdom is purity. Well, if purity is a sign of wisdom, then it would follow that impurity is a sign of foolishness. So I want to ask you today, uh, are you pursuing the virtue of purity? You know, many of us in our American culture of Christianity, we recognize that the world has a very low standard of purity. As a culture, our standard of purity is in the gutter. And so as Christians, when we compare ourselves to the world, we we think of the church as being much higher, much more pure than the world. The world is down there in the gutter, and as a Christian, I'm up here on the sidewalk, so I'm doing a whole lot better. But when it comes to the God standard of purity, God's standard of purity is far higher than the world's standard of purity and even than the church's standard of purity. Prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, he caught a glimpse of the holiness, the purity of God, and he just cried out, woe is me. He recognized that he was impure in himself. He recognized that he served an impure nation. So if purity is the forgotten virtue that we are to seek, well, what is purity? There's a good dictionary definition, a good biblical definition of purity. It's on your outline on the screen. It says, purity is being free of contamination and immorality. God says the standard, the goal for our lives, is to be free of contamination and immorality. 2 Corinthians 7.1, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. 
perfecting holiness. Why? Out of reverence for God. Out of reverence for God. Now, if that's the goal, why are we as a culture, why are we way down here, why are we as a church way down here, why is God's standard way up here? Why the big gap? Well, we talked about part of the reason last week when we talked about honor. As a culture, we have forgotten to honor God. And one of the primary motivations for purity is to honor God. Out of reverence for God, we seek to be pure. And when we forget to honor God, we lose our motivation for purity. There's also another reason why we have uh, lost our, our goal of purity. And that's we've forgotten something else. Uh, We have forgotten who you are. We have forgotten who we are in Christ. If you know who you are, you know what to do. Moms, you understand this. When you have a baby and the baby's crying, you know what to do because you're the mom. And, And you know what to do. You know, you get the baby, feed the baby, change the baby, rock the baby. When your child gets hurt, you, you know what to do. You get out the band-aid, you get out the ointment, you know, you kiss the boo-boo because you're the mom, you know what to do. When your teenager starts to drive, you're the dad. You know what to do. You start praying because you're the dad and you know what to do. You know, when you know that you are a child of God, when you know you are a follower of Christ, you know what to do, unless you have forgotten who you are. Ladies, do you know who you are? In in the struggle for purity, in the struggle for modesty, ladies, do you really know whose you are? We we need a revelation of who we are. I mean, we can know up here in our minds, oh, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I'm a child of God, but we need to have new eyes to be able to see that who you are in Christ matters. Ephesians 1.4, Christ chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. We have been chosen in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. As a believer in Christ, you are God's creation. You are God's masterpiece. You are a new creation in Christ. And when something is new, you want to protect it. You want to keep it clean. You want to keep it pure. The Bible says we are new creations. The old has gone, but the old doesn't want to stay gone. The old tries to press back in, and the minute we let up, we want to go back to the old ourselves. Purity is a struggle. It is a daily battle. We must not forget who we are. I tell you, it just breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. Poor little Miley Cyrus. Poor little Katy Perry. Poor Beyonce. They have forgotten who they are. Poor little Justin Bieber. Poor Philip Seymour Hoffman. They have forgotten who they are. And you look at the damage that it has done in their lives and you look at the damage that it does in the lives of other little boys and girls that look at them and think, well, maybe that's who I am. Maybe that's how I ought to be. But we are chosen by God. We are loved. We're not only loved, we are God's masterpiece. We are the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. You are the bride of Christ. 
And consider the, that bride of Christ image in regards to purity. What is it that a bride does? What's the calling on a bride's life? The bride is on a mission to prepare herself for her wedding. And what's the bridegroom's mission? What's his calling? What does a husband do? He is on mission to protect the purity of his bride. That's the goal. Look what the Bible says to husbands. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water. By the word, Christ sanctified, he cleansed, he washed the church. Christ sanctified, he cleansed, he washed you. Why? So that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's the mission, that's the call of a husband. To maintain the purity of his bride. Guys, let me roll that out for you practically. What that means practically is, is the husband's goal should not be to make his wife more sexual, more sensual. The husband's goal is to make his wife more spiritual. That's the mission. Now, granted, there is a sexual, there is a physical aspect to the marriage relationship. But when you honor Christ in the spiritual aspect, the physical aspect gets even better. Husbands need to be on mission to protect the purity of their wives. Wives need to be on mission to protect their purity. Parents need to be on mission to protect the purity of their sons and daughters. And we need to be on mission preparing ourselves to be the bride of Christ without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. Christ is our bridegroom. We need to be faithful to him. A bride knows what to do. She is loyal and faithful to her bridegroom. You know, one of the ways this plays out practically is, is illustrated in the life of a young lady named Kylie Basuti. Uh, Kylie was a Victoria's Secret model, had risen to the top of her profession, and she made the decision to stop modeling lingerie in order to reserve her body for her husband. She's a believer. She's a Christian. She became convinced that she needed to honor her husband and honor her God by being modest. And it changed her whole approach to her career. Purity, modesty became the goal for her. Not sensuality, not sexuality. Purity is the goal. Why do we go out and contaminate ourselves and allow things into our lives that are not pure? You know, we're not our own. When you are a Christian, your life is not your own. Your life has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're not the same as the world. You have a call on your life that is not your own. You have a call for the glory of God. And ultimately, God's call on your life is that you will become like Jesus Christ. That's the goal. And so that's the question. Are you becoming more and more like the world? Or are you becoming more and more like Jesus Christ? Christ is the standard of purity. And we're called to be like him. It's not enough to compare ourselves to Miley Cyrus and Justin Bieber and think, uh, well, at least we haven't had a moral meltdown yet. No, we're to look at Christ as our standard. Hebrews 12, 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus Christ is the author. He's the perfecter, the sanctifier, the purifier. We are to fix our eyes on him. 
Because we cannot do this in our own. Too many women, too many men are trying to stay pure in their own strength, and you can't do it. The truth is you have already been made pure in Christ. You just need to cooperate with Christ and stop contaminating yourself with the things of the world. Another thing we've forgotten, forgotten your calling. 1 Peter 1.14, as obedient children, circle that phrase, obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Not just in some of the things you do, but holy in all you do. It is our calling to be holy. And again, I cannot do this in my own strength, but Christ is in me and I am in Christ. And if I take him at his word, if I am an obedient child, if I obey his word, Christ will do things in me that I cannot do myself. I mean, I look back on my life and I think, who am I to be speaking on purity? I mean, there are people in my past, if they walked in here today and saw this, their jaw would drop. But it's not about me, it's about Christ. Christ is the one who purifies and renews. Christ is the one who is holy and righteous. Christ is the one who has been faithful. He's the one that, that can renew me, he can renew you. Romans 12, 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To renew your mind is your calling. Actually, it's a command. Renew your mind. Think differently about yourself. And when you renew something, you want to protect that renewal. You don't renew something and then go out and contaminate it with filth again. But we live in a culture where we are just bombarded with filth. We are bombarded with immorality and immodesty. There is wickedness everywhere. I mean, you sign on to a computer and go to a news site, and there's just all these soft porn ads all down the side. You go into the store to buy clothes, and, and, and the fashions are skimpy and tight and revealing. The impurity and, and the temptations are everywhere. You have to guard your purity. You have to protect it. You can't just renew your mind one time and let it be. You have to guard and protect what you see. Guard and protect what you hear. Guard and protect your heart and your body and your image. We have to train ourselves to be godly. Build ourselves up in our most holy faith. That's our job. That's our calling. We're called to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. When he says in James 1, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I've I, I got to cooperate when I read the Bible. I've got to do what it says, whether myself or my culture likes it or not. You know, I used to be afraid, when I was a young believer, I used to be afraid that if I obeyed God's word, that I would miss out on some pleasure in my life. I used to think that if I, if I obeyed God's word that I would lose out on something. That is just such a lie. Such a lie. The older I get, I realize that when you obey God's word, you don't lose anything. You gain. You gain stuff. You wind up with an abundant life, a joy-filled life. When, when you take God at his word and you trust him and you cooperate with him, he will take you to levels that you never imagined possible. And I haven't arrived, you haven't either. But it doesn't matter because it's about the struggle. It's about the goal of purity. It's about being on mission. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. 
and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You know, I've got to throw off those things that hinder me. I've got to throw off the sins that entangle me. I've got to run the race to win. That's what we've got to do. And so when it comes to this forgotten virtue of purity, are, are you cooperating with Christ? Or are you conforming to the world's standard? Maybe out of insecurity or out of a desperation to be loved, to, you decide to compromise, to, to let down your guard because you want the attention, the approval, the acceptance of other people in the world so badly. When it comes to purity, I, I often talk to men about the need to avoid lust and pornography. And if you think that's where this message is going today, I've got a surprise for you because today I want to talk to ladies about modesty. And I'm glad I chose to do this in the winter because, quite frankly, it's so cold that it's not a real problem. <laughs> but I tell you, when it's summer around here, modesty is a problem, even with our fine Christian ladies here at Rockbrook. That's one of the reasons why I keep it so cold in here in the summer. I learned that from a pastor in Las Vegas. He said, Kelly, I keep it freezing cold in my worship center so the ladies of my church will wear clothes. Now you may say, well, who are you to speak on women's fashion? Well, what qualifies me to address the issue of modesty in women? Well, let me tell you who I am. First of all, I'm a husband. Katie and I have been married be 40 years in May. And Katie and I have learned some things over the years about spirituality and sexuality. I've learned things as a husband about the wisdom of purity and the foolishness of impurity. Second, I'm the father of an 18-year-old daughter. Uh, I know what it's like to take your daughter to the mall and not be able to find anything modest for her to wear. Uh, I see the skimpy costumes the fashion industry tries to pass off as clothing for young girls. Uh, I know the struggle of trying to find a swimsuit that covers you up. Thank God for rash guards. Third, I'm also the grandfather of a nine-year-old granddaughter. And I know how early... The world seeks to rob little girls of their innocence. The world is relentless in its promotion of immodesty, even in the lives of little nine-year-old girls involved in gymnastics and dance team. And I'm also a pastor. The world gets to peddle impurity with impunity, but I'm the one who has to come along behind and mop up. I have to deal with the broken hearts, the wounded lives, the devastated and destroyed families because of immodesty and impurity and the inroads that they've made in the hearts and lives of people. That's why I'm speaking on modesty. Now, I will tell you, I ran this message by some ladies in the church. I talked to some mothers of teenage daughters. I talked to mothers of teenage sons because I valued their input on this. And the consensus I got from them was, preach it, brother. Amen. So let's take a look at what 1 Peter 3.3 says to women. It says, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of the Lord. Ladies, your goal is not just to deck yourself out with fashion and finery. The goal is not just to get your hair done, to not wear the right accessories, to not wear the right clothes. God says that what is precious in his sight is not what you have on the outside. It's what you are on the inside, the hidden person of the heart. And God says you need to clothe yourself with a gentle and quiet spirit. 
Uh, I'd encourage you, ladies, as you run across passages in Scripture that, that, that talk about modesty and what to wear and what not to wear, that you not view those as things that restrict your freedom, but instead you view God's real intent, which is to release you from the pressure of trying to adorn yourself in such a way that you gain acceptance. God says you don't have to do that. You are accepted in Christ. You are accepted for who you are. And what you are on the inside is far more important than what you wear on the outside. And Christ calls you to find humility in that, to find a rested spirit in that, to just rest yourself in who you are in Christ. Now, there's a great resource that I want to point you to today. It's called the Revolution Modesty Survey. And I'd encourage you to write down the URL there. It's on the screen, the Revolution Modesty Survey. These guys have done a tremendous service to parents and young ladies and even Christian guys in regards to this issue of modesty and what to wear. They asked hundreds of Christian girls to contribute 148 questions to the survey. And then the survey, they had over 1,600 Christian guys who gave over 150,000 answers and 25,000 text messages in 20 days in response to the survey. I mean, you think they, they, they hit the hot button? If you want to know what Christian guys think about what Christian girls wear, this survey will tell you. And one of the, one of the initial questions was, can girls dress attractively without being immodest? And 99.2% of the guys said, yes, she can. Uh, the truth is, godly Christian guys are desperate for girls to be modest. That's one of the things that will come out in this survey. You will just see the desperation from guys who are trying to stay pure, saying to Christian girls, please, cover up. Listen to, to some of the responses from these young guys. Age 19, immodesty may draw attention, but it's not the kind you want. I know a lot of girls who dress modestly but are still very attractive. A guy age 19, girls can be noticeably beautiful and guys can notice it without there being immodesty or lust involved. Don't allow the devil to make us think the enemy is beauty. The enemy is manipulation and the very ugly forces of lust and vanity in our hearts. Age 20, the most attractive and wholesome females I have ever come into contact with were those who were dressed stylishly but not immodestly. Age 17, you may be more attractive to the world when you are immodest, but to the Christian men you are hoping to please, you will become more attractive when your clothing reflects the attitudes a Christian should have towards purity. Age 22, for a serious Christian guy, she is twice as attractive because her evident character magnifies her beauty. Age 19, I know several attractive girls that don't sacrifice modesty for fashion or fashion for modesty. Too many women sacrifice their purity in pursuit of beauty and wind up neither beautiful nor pure. Proverbs 11.22 says, Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. What a contrast. You know, discretion is the good sense to be modest. Katie and I have um, friends, a married couple. Uh, after he got out of the army, they went to a Christian college. They lived in married student housing on campus. And their home became a hangout, kind of a haven for young single college students who were just looking for kind of some home atmosphere and for the wisdom and, and input from some older uh, believers. 
So Jim and Sarah had lots of opportunity to speak into the lives of these young college students, uh, particularly about the issue of purity and modesty. Sarah told us a story that one Saturday night, Abby stopped by their house. It was obvious to Sarah that Abby was going out for the evening where there would be guys because of the way Abby was dressed. She was wearing a top that showed a whole lot of skin. So Sarah said, Abby, have you ever noticed Jim's little Ford truck? Abby said, sure. Sarah said, do you know how much Ford spends on advertising to get men to buy their cheap little trucks? Abby said, no, how much? Sarah said, they spend millions and millions and millions of dollars on advertising because there are so many cheap little trucks that they have to cut through the clutter in order to get the attention of a man to get him to buy their cheap little truck. Then Sarah said, do you know how much Rolls-Royce spends on advertising? Abby said, Rolls-Royces, they're expensive. They must spend a whole lot. Sarah said, Abby... Rolls-Royce doesn't spend one cent on advertising because they know that a man who wants a Rolls-Royce will move heaven and earth to find it. Now, do you want a guy who's looking for a cheap truck or do you want to attract a guy who's looking for a Rolls-Royce? Abby said, I want a guy who wants a Rolls-Royce. Sarah said, then go put on a top that doesn't make you look like a cheap truck. Ladies, if clothes could talk, what would your clothes say? Some women's clothes say, uh, I'm cool. There's kind of a prideness about it. Some of them say, I'm easy. I'm sexy. I'm available. Some clothes say, will you just love me? Some clothes say, I'm hiding. Some clothes say, I'm pretty important. See this label? Some clothes say, I'm insecure. But for the woman who is pursuing purity, clothes say, I'm pure. I'm chosen. I'm special. I'm loved. I'm holy. You know, as a guy, as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, as a pastor, ladies, as my sisters in Christ, I plead with you, to dress modestly. Please don't be a source of temptation to other men. Honor Christ. Honor your brothers in Christ. Jesus said that when a man, when you cause a man to lust in his heart, you are causing him to commit adultery. Don't be a stumbling block to our men. You know, what if every dress, every top, every blouse, every pair of jeans that you put on, what if every garment you wore said, I I am the bride of Christ? What if that were your standard? What if you dressed to attract the attention of Christ? What if you dressed not for the approval of any man, not for the approval of another woman, but for the approval of Jesus Christ? This is the Apostle Paul's instruction to Timothy, a young pastor. This is what God charges me as a pastor to say to you. I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. They make themselves attractive by the good things they do. 
You know, last week we talked about honor. Purity and modesty really come down to honor. Wives, you need to honor your husband with what you wear. If you want to dress provocatively, don't do it for every man on the street. Do it for your husband in the privacy of your own bedroom. Husbands, honor your wife in what you encourage her to wear. Don't seek to make her more sensual or more sexual. Instead, seek to make her more spiritual. Instead of lust, seek deep personal intimacy. And mothers and daughters, honor your husbands and dads by letting them speak into what little girls and teenage girls wear. You know, when it comes time to pick out that swimsuit or that dress uh, dance class costume or that prom dress, you know, you may know what's fashionable, you may know what's pretty, but dad knows what happens when a young boy looks at what his daughter is wearing. But dad, speak into that process to protect the purity of your daughter. You know, one of the great gifts we have in our family is that my wife growing up, her dad, uh, her dad helped her pick out all her clothes. He went shopping with all three of his daughters. And they'd try stuff on and they'd come out and he'd say, eh, I don't think so. Or he'd say, yep, I would love it if a daughter of mine wore that. What a great gift to her. What a great legacy. Dads, fight for the purity of your precious daughters. Don't let the world, don't let fashion designers degrade them. Finally, listen to this comment from one lady. I look back on my high school days with regret and embarrassment. The immodest things I wore, the impure things I was encouraged to do as a cheerleader and in dance team. Now, as a Christian wife and mother, I realize how degrading those things were. My mom was a single mom. I had no father. I didn't know any better. But weren't there any Christian men out there who were willing to speak up on my behalf and say, this is wrong and degrading. We will not tolerate young girls doing this. Where were those men? Let's pray together. Father, I pray that this message would go deep into our hearts. That as men and women of God, may we live on mission to protect our personal purity and to protect the purity of our kids. Help us not to forget who we are or whose we are. May we not forget our calling. Give us a new revelation of what it means to be the bride of Christ. We are your bride without spot or wrinkle or blemish. You are the one who makes us pure. God, I thank you for your love and that it's ever-present in our lives. And I pray that, that we would be men and women who would live pursuing you and your approval, not the approval of men. Give us the wisdom and discretion. Give us the boldness to take a stand for purity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.